And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torresani. Hi, Erin. Hi, how are you? <laughs> We're jumping right into this and you're like, oh, lady's waking up because she's like, wait, I know that name. She Who knows. Yes, yeah, she knows I'm there. She knows. <laughs> I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I'm Emotional so excited to be support. here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have to get right into it because for those who are listening, if you don't know who Aaron Diggs is, let me tell you, Aaron not only saved my life, but she also <laughs> had me eat my placenta. That is the the start. That is how we are starting off with this podcast. <laughs> Saved my life by eating my placenta. Erin, how did you get involved with wanting to be part of, you know, helping so many moms out there in this world? You do belly binding, placenta encapsulation. You're a doula. What inspired you to want to go into this field of work? Yeah, I actually, um, I came to this work after I had my my own experience with my daughter. She's six now. Um, and she's real cute. I had, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, she's a keeper. <laughs> I I basically came into this after, after I had a very rough situation with her. I had preeclampsia. She was born via emergency C-section at 34 weeks. Can you explain what preeclampsia is to people? Because a lot of people don't know what that is. And I've actually never talked to anyone who had preeclampsia. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So preeclampsia is pregnancy-related hypertension. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's basically two presentations of it. One is you know, early onset and it slowly progresses. Essentially what happens is your blood pressure slowly rises. Um, you get a lot of swelling, edema, and um, your kidneys start having a hard time, you know, evacuating all of the excess fluid in your body right. and processing all of your waste. Um, and then there's essentially the the presentation that I had, which is late onset. And that's actually the more dangerous form because what happens is that it kind of comes out of nowhere. So like I wow. was completely fine. I had had um, a home birth planned and I had, you know, had a checkup with my midwife literally like two weeks before and there was literally nothing wrong with me. And then the next time I had my checkup, she was like, you don't look like yourself. And wow. she took my blood pressure and it was through the roof and she immediately took me to the hospital and um, essentially what happens in that case is the symptoms tend to be more severe and there's like you're in emergency mode because you haven't been trying to manage gradual symptoms throughout the weeks. It's right. just like it's there and you're you're doing what you have to do. And is there something that you can do? Like, is there like food that people eat that causes maybe like an inflammation or like what do they think it is? So that's kind of the problem with preeclampsia is that there's no, it, it, it occurs in 10% of all pregnancies around the world, right. um, first of all. Which is quite a lot if you think about it. It's a lot. It's a lot. And um, it's, that rate is obviously higher in developing countries. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, essentially there's no specific reason for it. The only thing that it can really be tied to is like, stress levels right and inflammation so like it can really be caused for any number of reasons 
if you have, you know, a genetic predisposition for it. And by that, I mean, like if your mother or your grandmother had preeclampsia, you are more inclined to have it. Right. So now that I've had it, my daughter's more inclined to have it in the case that she decides to become pregnant um, later on. And so, you know, but there, there's a lot of theories out there, but there's no real distinct reason. Obviously there's some best practices that you can do. That's to limit the stress that you experience during pregnancy, which is almost impossible to not be stressed during pregnancy. I know. (laughs) I know it's so hard, you know? And so, I mean, so much of pregnancy and birth is a, it's a mind game. You know what I mean? So it's like really trying to exercise tools that you have to just like, you know, soothe your system. It's important, you know? Right. So it's, easier said than done, but yeah, limiting your stress, making sure that you're eating like a well-balanced diet, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables, lower on sodium, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that, you know, you're, you're getting your protein in things like this. It's, it's kind of like the general. It's the general way of like, like, I'm pregnant and I shouldn't be going to McDonald's right now and having, you know, a double cheeseburger and all this stuff. But I mean, don't do it every day. Don't do it every day. But at the Don't same time, day. like, you know, you're, when you're craving something, you're craving something and all bets are yeah. off. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. And so it's kind of like, you know, you do your best, right? Right. But no one can say, oh, you got preeclampsia because you went and got in and out like once a week. No one can say that. No. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no solid, solid evidence for that. It's just obviously if you can try to do certain things. It can, the likelihood of you developing preeclampsia is less, but you could also do all the right things. And and it just naturally happened because it's genetics. And so when you went into the hospital, were you like, holy shit, like the baby's coming right now? Or were you like, what is going to happen? What's the next step? I'm going home in a little bit. Like everything's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, I so I was I'm very much when I'm in crisis mode, I'm like, okay, what's the next step? Right. Right. I'm just like, let's keep it chill and find out what the next step is. So in my head, I was like, okay, she's taking me to the hospital. They're going to check my blood pressure. And if I'm okay, they're going to discharge me. My midwife, on the other hand, knew that this was not going to be the case. Oh, she knew. And how far along were you at this point? I was 33 33 weeks so and like still really three, early three or four days. Right. Oh yeah. Very early. So basically what happened was I had spoken to my partner and I was like, yeah, it's fine. We're just going to go to the hospital. No big deal. He was working. We were living in Brooklyn at the time and he was working upstate filming. Oh my gosh. And so he was like six hours away and, um, I hung up the phone and she called my midwife called him back and was like, yeah, Aaron's downplaying the whole situation. You need to come now because you're going to be a dad. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> what an amazing yeah. midwife though, to know to make that call yeah. and make that decision and be like, yeah. look, like, cause I get it when you're in the middle of, of, you know, when you're going through labor, whatever it may be, you really do downplay everything. Cause you're like, I don't want to panic. I don't want it to be like the yeah. end. Like, I'm trying to stay calm. Yeah. And I knew who's working. So I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. So basically I get to the hospital and it wasn't until they were like, oh yeah, you're not going home. They triaged me and they were like, you're not, you're not going anywhere. Wow. And it like sunk in. And I like sat there crying. Cause I was like, oh no, I'm not going home. This is it. <laughs> so oh. they were like, yeah, you're going to stay here until the baby's born. And I was like, I, like I said, I had a home birth planned in like 
all of that went completely out the window. Oh, natural. Say and goodbye to it. Yeah. Just all of it. Yeah. All of it. They had to immediately hook me up to, um, IV medication to, they were surprised that I didn't walk in having seizures already. Really? Um, my blood pressure was so high. Yeah. Yeah. And the next couple of days, it just kind of got exponentially worse right. um, because I was trying to do what I could to hold on because um, the fetus's lungs don't fully develop until they're 34 weeks. Mm. So I was obviously head of that. Right. And right. so they were giving me steroids to essentially accelerate the process. But I, as a mother, wanted to hold on as long as I could. Of course. To make sure that that she was okay. Um, and so, you know, they tried to do, uh, they tried to induce me, but, you know, it was way too early in the pregnancy. There was, yeah. there was no way that was going to work. No. Um, so they, they tried for two or three days to, to dilate, um, and soften my cervix and it just wasn't working. And so then basically it got to a point, you know, and my, my midwife, again, this woman went above and beyond and I could <laughs> I've mentioned her multiple times and I was like, she was just amazing. She's retired now, but she would come in and check on me, even mm. though I was technically no longer her client, you know, right, I'd been right. transferred to the hospital. She came and checked on me. And frankly, she was the only one that I trusted because right. the, the hospital kept coming in, trying to essentially bully me um, into doing what they wanted me to do. Oh. At one point, I literally had like three or four department heads wow. in my room at the same time. And I was just like, <laughs> sorry, like, no, buddy, sorry, that's not happening. You're barking up the wrong tree. Like, I'm, right. I'm not going to, to roll over that easy. I'm right. sorry. It's just not happening. I'm going to do what it's your job to give me the information. And it's my job to make the best decision for myself. And I think that's a really so, important thing for people to hear because yeah. You know, uh, that's what I, I was taught as well of, you know, you can have all the information, but it's it's your baby, it's your body, it's your decision. And yes, there may exactly. come a time where literally like you're passed out and you cannot make a decision and maybe someone has to make a yes. decision for you, whether that's your partner, your doula or the doctor. But when you go in there, you know, I've heard so many horror stories before I gave birth of people saying, you know, I didn't want to have an induction and I was induced and they told me that then the baby's heart rate yes. was dropping and I needed an immediate C-section and I thought yep. I was going to have this natural birth and just no. And I, I think what the lesson was that I learned and what I've tried to teach so many people is have as much information as you possibly can going into a hospital, know what the worst case scenarios may be and then kind of just release and be like, let go and let the universe take over at some point because you can voice your concerns, you can have your birth plan. And then like push comes to shove, there may be, you know, a, a dire life or death situation where you have to go, okay, you know what? I have to, I have to succumb to this and be like, here you go, yeah. you know? Um, and which is what you did. Yeah. But you were aware of everything. You talked about it. You were not going to be bullied. I did. Because you, and then afterwards- No, I, and I, I knew what to look out for. Yeah, and that was the other thing. I remember being in the hospital afterwards and there was a girl who was walking the hallways with me and she was with her husband and she was crying because she was so upset that she wanted to have a hypnobirth and wanted to have a natural birth and that she got told that she had to get induced and C-section. And afterwards she was like, I'm just so angry at myself that I let that happen. 
and I said to her, I go, you have to own your birth story. No matter what it is, you have to own it and be like, it, it, it's here. My baby's here. I was strong. Yeah. I was powerful. And you can't live in regret because it's already happened and you have to push forward. But I remember being like, wow, I, I know that feeling. And it's that feeling I didn't want a epidural and I ended up getting an epidural. It's that feeling of like, I'm a failure. Like I failed myself and like I never want any woman to ever feel that way during or before, during or after their birth. Like you, you have to, absolutely. It, you know, absolutely. And absolutely. Well, and like when we, if we're talking about your, your epidural, like you acknowledge, like, you're like, I got to a place where it's just like, you know what? <laughs> I, I have I've to. done my work. I, I've, I've done this as much as I could. And now I'm going to go ahead and get some relief and that's okay. Yep. That's okay. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, there's a, there's a certain amount of that where it's just like, you know, you got it. There's this very fine line that you have to, to toe where it's like, you have your plan, but you also need to just kind of go with the flow. It's, absolutely. it's a little bit of both. You know what I mean? So oh, absolutely. Yeah, because it's, it's, if I didn't have that epidural, I wouldn't, when I was, well, we'll get into it, but when I was, you know, you know, hemorrhaging, there was no time for any sort of numbness, if you will, like full no, vagina was in no. pain, like feeling yes. every part of orifice yes. and crevice possible. Um, and, and yes. that was on an epidural, so, you know, um, mm -hmm. I cannot imagine yeah. what it would have been like without, and I'm happy that I don't have to imagine. Yeah. So you had this birth, you ended up giving birth to beautiful Elliot, who is just incredible and like so smart. Thank How you. long afterwards did you go, wow, this is what I want to do? It was really interesting because I had been toying with the idea of like being a doula while I was going to my childbirth education classes. Wow. Um, I was like, this is, I find like, I was a total birth nerd about the whole thing. I was like yeah. doing extra research on top of really just enjoying all the information I was getting um, in class. And like, I... But at that point, I was working as a senior project manager for an international polling firm. So I was like, bowling? That's just not. No, polling, polling, oh, international polling. I thought polling. you said bowling. And I was like, Aaron, How I did epic not would know this be? about you. <laughs> oh, my God, that is incredible. So polling. <laughs> okay, polling. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes, it's still very strange. It like, was a research. It was a research firm. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Still, odd job. Very different than being a doula. Very different. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing was I had this like, so the funny thing is that I'd, I'd gone to school for and like gotten into basically like nonprofit management, things like that. Right. What's really funny is that after I, I had Elliot, um, I basically took a year off. I was a, a stay at home mom for a year. And um, during that time, we moved from New York to Los Angeles. Wow. I can't and imagine there was such just a big kind of, move at a young age like that. Like for, and for was, you, like as a mom. It's there was crazy. a lot happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot happening. I was like, I wasn't doing the work that I was doing before. I'm a, I'm a mom and I'm like, you know, still going through like the birth trauma that I was dealing sure. with. And also like the repercussions of like her being in the NICU for a month and like, so we were like still dealing with that. We had made this move. And so there's like a lot of things. It was clearly like change. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was a lot of like stuff just happening in the universe. And so 
I just like, I had continued playing with this idea of becoming a doula. And I had always like, I had this false narrative about myself. Like, no, that's just not who you are. That's not who you are. And, and I decided out of nowhere, I was like, you know what, I'm going to sign up for a workshop and do this. And I signed up for my, um, my birth and my postpartum workshops. And, um, it was like the, the funniest thing, because the second I decided to do that, everything just clicked. Mm. And, um, back when I was, this is a really like random, but funny coincidence back when I was 19, I was talking, one of my friends, his older sister was having, um, a similar kind of like crisis that I was having, like at the age of 29 with the with a one-year-old, but like she had been going to school for something totally different at Columbia university. And like the whole time she's like, I want to be a midwife though. Like I want to mm. do something totally different than what I'm doing now. And, um, she was talking to me about becoming, about becoming a doula. And she was like, you would be a great doula. This was when I was 19. Wow. And I was like, no, that's like, that's not my path. It's not for me. And right, so then right. all of a sudden, 10 years later, I'm like, this happened. Okay, right. universe, I see you. Right, right. <laughs> I see you. Jokes on me. I get it. Um, yeah, and so it was one of those things where I took my, I, I just like I did my workshops and I went right into the work and it just everything came together and it wow. just was clearly very meant to be. Right, 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 right. Um, no, I think that that's yeah. what's so special, right? <laughs> like there that you had that little hint of of you know like. Here, I'm just going to plant this seed in your head. And in 10 years, it's actually going to come to fruition. Like, so weird. You know, yeah, it's it was so wild weird. how that kind of stuff happens, right? No, but I yeah. think that you are, you know, from from an outsider's point of view, I, I could not imagine you doing anything else because you are so good <laughs> at it. And also, Thank you know, you. while you were not my doula and I didn't have a doula, you, in all intents and purposes, for me, were my postpartum doula, even though I didn't, I mean, that, that's not really, like, what what the job was. It kind of ended up being that way, because when I had first heard about you, it was through Alicia Tambori. She uh, was the teacher of hypnobirthing for me, which really has continued to change my life for the better. But when I yeah. had talked to Alicia, we were talking about postpartum and, and what, you know, kind of things you should do, like the foods you should eat and the things. And she was very, very, very keen on me reaching out to you to talk about something called um, belly binding and placenta encapsulation. Well, placenta encapsulation yes. is pretty like easy. It's, it is what it is. Like it's exactly what it says. It's encapsulating your placenta. Yeah. <laughs> now, my yes. mom was all about this. She was like, this is so cool, Alessandra. Like, you know, this is so interesting. We had done all this research. When you encapsulate and you eat your placenta, which sounds really gross because you never would know like what you're taking. It's just in pill form. You know, it's just powdered pill. Yeah. Um, I, I read more things about it helping with postpartum depression helping yes. um period like and helping with postpartum anxiety helping with nutrition helping with latching with your baby um for breastfeeding there were so many positives and i actually just found out finally doing research on it on the benefits so they can share this information with people um because it sounds so woo woo and so gross but it's actually not at all yeah. and it gives this energy to the point where my husband actually took 
um, two of the pills. I didn't let him have a lot, but I let him have two. Which and, I love. I yes. love. And then <laughs> I, I think that. I'm pretty sure. I love it. I was a little out of it, but I'm pretty sure my best friend Jenna took one too. Um, so shout out to Jenna if she did do that because I did <laughs> give her one. Um, but I didn't have a lot to give, so I wanted to make sure I ingested all of it. But um, can you explain to, to those who are pregnant or who are just like, what are you, a cannibal? Like, what's going on? What is eating your placenta? Like, what is kind of the importance behind it? Like, from you, like, that you may know more research about and, and stuff. So the placenta is an organ. It's a temporary organ that's obviously grown along with the baby throughout pregnancy. It's like an and alien. so your body naturally evacuates it. It is. It it's an alien. It kind of is. It's like the coolest alien ever. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it gets evacuated after birth. Um, and it literally is called the afterbirth and, you know, it's the only, I would say that the organ that it's kind of most similar to that we have is the liver. Right. And when you think about the benefits of eating liver for those right. of you that, you know, consume meat, um, a li the liver is a powerhouse piece of meat to eat, right? You, it has B vitamins, it has iron, it has all sorts of minerals that you need right. and high in protein and like healthy fats, things like that. And like, so it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, so many people will tell you like eat liver. It's so good for you when you have a lot of like, um, what's the word, I guess, like when you're depleted, right? It's a great food to have when you're depleted. So in that same way, placenta is great to have postpartum because you are in a depleted state. Yeah, You've just had somebody drawing from your body for nine to 10 months. A little alien. Yeah. You're now needing to use whatever store that you have to make milk if you are choosing to, to breastfeed. Right. And in addition to that, you've lost you know, all of this excess fluid and blood, granted you were making excess fluid and blood, but it's like, you're right. still losing a of lot. Of course. Your hormones are plummeting. Like there's a lot that's happening. You're in essentially a depleted state. And so when you are consuming your placenta, and again, you can do this, the, the easiest way is capsules, right? right. Have somebody dehydrated for you, encapsulate it. Other people, uh, and I, I provide this for, for my clients as well as we can do smoothie cubes as well, tinctures, but you know, anyways, when you take the capsules and, and consume your placenta, it helps soften that blow because it can be, it can be rough. It's, <laughs> it's uh, rough. Like I said, you're, you're going through, you're, you're exhausted. Your body's been drawn. All of your sources have been drawn from you're, you're still, you're still having to work. Like it's, you're doing all of this, like waking up every couple of hours, changing a baby's diaper, soothing the baby. Like, again, if you're lactating, your body's making that milk, that is work. Right. And so it's like all of these things, obviously that's part of why this, the biggest suggestion is to continue taking your, your prenatal vitamins are now because the market's gotten fancier. You have postnatal vitamins. Mm. Um, but you know, you, you keep taking a multivitamin and then taking the placenta on top of that helps just like soften all of that because it gives you the B vitamins that you're needing and lacking in order to like have energy. It's giving you that iron that you need after you've lost a bunch of blood. It's giving you those minerals that you're needing because your, your sleep cycles all messed up. Totally. You know? And I think the weirdest thing that I found, and I don't know if this was specifically the hospital that I went to or what it was, 
But when I had talked to my doctor beforehand about, you know, that I was eating my placenta, basically, I didn't say it like that, but I didn't, I was like, you know, I'm encapsulating the placenta. You have to always, you have to softball it in. You got to softball it in. And my doctor was like pretty cool about, about it. And we was like, oh yeah, I got all, all the gals do it. Like, it's not a big deal, you know? It was interesting because I had other reactions from other doctors. You know, I came in with my cooler, uh, my little igloo, and it was cherry red and Mm -hmm. it had on like, you know, um, a little emo sticker on it. So I knew it was mine. And like my mom was like, I can't even believe that I have to go and deliver this placenta. Like, I feel like this is out of a movie. Like she... She couldn't wrap her brain around the fact that, like, her daughter's placenta was going to be in a, a fucking igloo, basically, like, as if we're going camping. Um, oh, yeah. But she was, like, yeah. all for it. She just was like, this is such a trip for me. This is so different than, like, anything yeah. I ever thought of, you know. But I remember that the doctors were like, well, for those who don't know, and, and you obviously knew, my doctor passed away right before I gave birth. So everything was, like, kind of new and, yeah. and uh, off kilter and just kind of a mess. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have, so I had my plan, right. But once again, I had to let the plan out the window and everything went great. It's fine. But I remember going in there with the placenta and there were different, you know, people that were coming in and out and they were like, Oh, um, I don't know if you're going to be able to do that. Well, you know, that if there's, you know, poop in the placenta, you know, they can't have that. You, you can't eat that. If you have yeah. this, you have that. And I was like, okay, that that's fine. But like, I'm not even delivering yet. So like, let's worry about this when it happens. Yeah. And like, I wonder, like, is it because it's a very Western environment where we're not in, um, you know, a home birth or a birthing center or because I didn't have a doula or a midwife with me? Do you find hearing that like with your other clients that sometimes it's like kind of looked down upon um, when you go into a hospital environment? Yes. Okay. So I wasn't the only one. Oh my goodness. Like, I don't think I've ever, I've heard maybe one or two medical staff, and this is including nurses and OBs that have like not completely shat on the practice. Really? (laughs) They they are not big fans. Yeah. Yeah, it's so They're weird for me fans. because I'm like, just like, let it be like, if it's something that's also making me comfortable and like, look, uh, you know, I, I, I've shared this story before, so I won't get into the grave detail of it, but you know, as, as you know, as you know, cause you were there, uh, you know, after yeah. I gave birth and I was stitched up, I started hemorrhaging and I was having yep. a lot of, lot of blood loss to the point where they thought I was going to have to have a transfusion. And so they had to examine you know, I don't even remember in quote unquote birthing my placenta. I don't even remember that. And it's not because I mean, I it sounds like there's dr- a lot going on. Yeah, so. exa- yeah exactly. It's not because yeah. I was like super drugged. It was because like it literally she shot out and the placenta shot out all at once. Like it was like, yeah, like I, I, I mean, if I was a professional athlete doing baseball, like, holy shit, I could just like throw that thing <laughs> out of my vagina really fast. Um, But it literally, they had to have all the, uh, when I, when I was stitched up and I started hemorrhaging, I just remember a rush of doctors coming in and they came in with the ultrasound because they couldn't understand why I was continually bleeding. So for them, they had a specialist that actually came in to examine my placenta and they went through the whole placenta to see if there were any holes in it, if there were any tears that possibly there was maybe a piece of the placenta that was still inside of me. That's why I was hemorrhaging. 
And I, I, it was all good to go. And they put it in the igloo and sent my mom on her way with it. Um, but yep. it was really interesting that they, you just can't even imagine. Like they have a specialist that knows how to examine a placenta. You know, it's, it's just wild. But I will tell you, I know in my heart of hearts, you know, without medical research, I know that eating my placenta saved my life because I was so depleted of hormones, of energy. There was a point where you came over and I could only hold the baby for five minutes without getting like really dizzy. And, you know- Oh, and you were, you were white as a goat. You were so pale. You were so pale so because pale. you just had such low blood volume. Such yeah. low blood volume. And like that's so the other, the part two about this, this, um, you know, interview is the other thing that you provided for me as you do belly binding. Explain what it is because I <laughs> heard about it because Beyonce apparently belly binded and I was like, well, whatever Beyonce does, like I need to do. I cannot confirm that she <laughs> Whatever did that. Beyonce does, we all need to do. So. Exactly. But I was like, oh, she belly binds? Cool, I'll do that. Like, that sounds cool. So that's how this happened. So what is belly binding? Yeah, so belly binding is actually a practice that has roots all over the world. Wow. Um, actually, yeah, women have been wrapping their abdomen postpartum essentially what as a general practice what it involves is taking a piece of fabric and wrapping the abdomen and giving it uh, a certain amount of compression mm -hmm. okay now there's different techniques depending on where in the world you are the type of belly binding that i do the technique that i do is from malaysia it's called Kong belly binding and essentially it takes a really long i'm talking like 20 yards worth of fabric um a really long thin piece of fabric and you take that fabric and little by little you're literally just like wrapping around the abdomen and then you do like a little twist and mm -hmm. then you just keep going and so you're kind of spiraling your way up it literally looks like a beautiful start... worm is how i felt yeah it's like a yeah like a cocoon right so yeah. it traditionally it started like mid-thigh like it started really low wow. And then it would go all the way up until like right, right under your breasts. Um, obviously in the modern day, we need a little bit more movement. Um, that type of wrapping or that extent, that extensive wrapping mm -hmm. is based on the like idea of the like East Asian idea of like postpartum confinement where you're not moving right <laughs> at all right. or leaving your bed for like a month right so like wrapping somebody that extensively made sense um but these days when you're kind of like needing to go to pediatrician appointments people don't necessarily follow like a traditional confinement like right. practice right you want to have it more you want to be more mobile mm -hmm. so um these days we're wrapping essentially from your hips and then as high up as it makes sense to go, right. um, depending, I actually was, I actually just wrapped up pun intended with another belly binding client who, um, her, like, for instance, her ribs, sometimes when you're, when you're carrying high during your pregnancy, your ribs flare out. Mm. And so wrapping somebody very high helps bring the ribs back in into place. Um, I right. didn't need to do that for her. She mostly needed support around her hips. So we kept the wrapping low. So it's like this way we can kind of like, that's kind of the beauty of doing postpartum abdominal binding is that 
you can cater it to the person's body. It's right. so much better than, you know, the belly bandits or like corsets. Right, right. Obvi- like, you know, at the hospital, they'll give you that. I personally was given one after my C-section and I never wore that thing because it felt terrible. Right. It was awful. Right. It made me feel like, like it gave me, um, and made me feel like, like I like my guts were just going to spill out. Like I had, totally. I had like so much pressure on my pelvic floor from that thing because all it does is it like constricts you uniformly, yep. like up and down. And that's not what we want to do. No. The whole point of abdominal binding and specifically with like big Kong belly binding is you're wrapping from the bottom up. So you're lifting everything. Right. Right. Um, and so yeah, so the the benefits of doing that sort of wrapping is everything from helping to support all of the soft tissue that's been stretched out during pregnancy yeah. to like helping all of the organs move back to their pre-pregnancy position because they got all shuffled around <laughs> during pregnancy. Like your stomach's up in your chest. Yes, like, your like organs are literally <laughs> in the weirdest like places in your body. Yeah. And I, you know, I am trying to get into TikTok to, try to, you know, during the pandemic, like I was like real slutty on, on TikTok doing these slutty dances. And then hey. I was like, let's get rid of those. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to be a mom, you know? Um, and now I'm like using it for, you know, the podcast. And, and I find myself, you know, the same way that I used Reddit during my pregnancy to find a community. I've really found it very interesting because I found a really cool algorithmic, if that's even a word, um, way to find mm-hmm. other moms who are around the same postpartum timing that I am who are very, yeah. you know, um, open to everything, right? So I follow some moms that, you know, practice belly binding like I did or ate the placenta. Um, you know, I follow moms who are a little bit further along than I am so I can see like what they do with their babies to interact. Like how are they doing, you know, cool, different, unique things, right? And I always yeah. seem to find myself with these funny videos of these moms being like, my organs are literally like under my armpit and up my butt right now. Like it's all over the place. Like how do I fix yeah. it? And it's so funny because like yeah. you you don't realize that it takes like six months to a year for your organs to finally go back into their own normal position. And you know, I, yeah. I remember being like, I don't understand why my stomach isn't like going back to normal. I'm losing weight. Why isn't it doing this? What is this puff? You know, is it? And and then it's like, oh, you might have diastasis recti. Whoa, what's that? You know what I mean? Like there are so many things that you don't know about. Pelvic floor therapy, something that I'm in. Never, never did I know what that was until you were so kind to share with yeah. me what pelvic floor therapy is and why I would probably need it. You know, so there's certain things that I think are not being screened from your your OB, which fine, maybe it's not their place, whatever. But I want to be that person that's providing and sharing and like overly sharing to my friends and family and to strangers who listen to the podcast who are now my friends because I want everyone to feel like they have a community that they have these like strange things that you maybe never heard of that could actually save your life. And like, that's what kind of belly binding was for me because belly binding, you know, you, there were different packages that people could do. You can do, you know, like five sessions, you can do 30 sessions, you can do 60 sessions. Like, and I chose to do the ones that were every other day um, of the Mm rewrapping. 
And we had to take a pause because, you know, I was so lucky and so grateful that you were there with me um, during these wrapping sessions because you did this, you know, massage on my body and womb work, W-O-M-B, because I, I can't pronounce it, womb work, um, and <laughs> and these womb massages, um, because, you know, your your body has gone through essentially like this accident and it needs to be healed. Um, it doesn't go back yes. to ground zero. And, you know, it's very normal. You know, here's where it gets a little TMI, everyone. So, you know, if you don't want TMI, like check out now. Um, but, you know, I was bleeding and every mom does bleed. And, you, you you know, when you leave the hospital, they give you diapers and for yourself and for your baby. And you're like, cool, this is my life now. Like what is like sexual tension in your household? <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore because- your husband sees you <laughs> and your child as the exact same. And I just was bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And I was so lucky because, you know, I, I had you where, you know, my mom was like, I think this is normal to be bleeding, but this seems like a lot. And you were like the best second opinion, you know, of like, I work with women postpartum every day. Like, this is not normal. Like, it's now gotten to the yeah. point where you are very ill. And it was 10 days postpartum and I was bleeding out um, clots that were the size of a liver. And you said yep. to me, uh, give me the baby. I'm going to hold her for a second. You and your mom and, and Sturgis pack up. You guys need to go to the hospital right now, you know? And I was so grateful. Well, and we like put you into bed and put, yeah, yeah heat we pad, put you into were bed. Heat pads we got you immediately in bed. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, how is this happening? I was like, I want to cry, but I, like, I can't even cry because I don't even have energy. I was like so, you know, weak. And I just like was like, no, 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 it's normal. It's normal. And I realized like now, you know, months later of, of being able to kind of look back at it, the, there's there's two parts to this. The first part is it's really depressing to me to think about all the time because, which I do, because I don't really remember the first three weeks of my daughter's life because I was in such fight or flight mode of, I have to wake up, I have to feed her, I have to burp her, I have to change her, I have to give her love, and then I sleep with her. You know, like every, every schedule she was on, yes. I was on the same schedule. So there was no like, everything's great. Like everything's perfect. Um, and I just remember looking at other moms, ones that I knew strangers looking at their pictures being like, I don't understand. How are they having a life right now? Like I'm dying. How are they yeah. having a life? Um, and then, you know, I, I just remember you saying we need to take a break. We're going to take a break from the belly binding and we're going to get back to it. And, you know, three weeks postpartum is when I had to have my DNC and have everything basically like burned out of my body because I had no idea why I was still continually bleeding these liver, you know. And it was frustrating because yeah. doctors were like, I believe you, but I think it's normal. I think you're overworking yourself. I think you're stressing. Are you exercising? And I'm like, I am not even doing anything but literally rolling out of bed and like giving her a boob and calling it a day and I'm, I'm bleeding out. And it still like haunts me to this day, you know, months later because I just remember looking down every time I would go to the bathroom and it would be like as if I had, you know, my worst fear come true of like having a miscarriage. Like that's what it was like every time. 
And yeah. I'm just like, I, I, my heart goes out to everyone who has suffered miscarriages, who's, you know, you know, had these DNCs, who's, who have had, you know, the hemorrhaging, who've had the blood loss, who have had all that. I mean, my heart goes out to everyone for, for dealing with this kind of stuff because you don't realize how traumatic it is until you live it. And, and then when it stops bleeding and you're like, everything's good, it's every day the anticipation of like, well, when is it going to happen again? Like, when am I going to bleed? What is that first reaction going to be like? But I just want to thank you because the belly binding helped me before I had, you know, the DNC operation because it was like, oh, I'm finally healing. And afterwards, because it was like an emotional support of of being able to truly heal me from the inside out. So I thank you so much, Erin. Like you literally helped me more than I could possibly even express in words. And just having the the physical support of this belly binding, you know, fabric, it literally felt like I was stable and my guts weren't falling out of me. And yeah. it looked really cute too. So I had to yeah. film it, you know. But you, it doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> it does not hurt at all. It feels like amazing. It's like, oh my gosh, it's great. But now, you know, have you ever experienced that with other moms postpartum where there have been traumatic events that have happened afterwards and you've acted as a therapist and as a emotional support and belly binder and doula and postpartum doula? Like, is, do, do you just experience this all the time? I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's the job, obviously, yeah. you know, um, I, as a postpartum doula that, that specifically would be me walking into the house and doing like a full shift six, six to 10 hours with, with a family. Um, but you know, even, even when I'm coming in just for, for, you know, to drop the placenta capsules off, or even yeah. when I'm coming in to do the belly binding sessions, or even when I'm coming in to do pelvic steaming sessions, like all of these things, um, it gives me a little bit of time with people in their most vulnerable state. You know what yeah. I mean? When you are freshly postpartum, it is, you are raw. Oh, <laughs> there's in really, every way, there's, in, in every, every way. form. Yes. I must say that my personal experience, my birth story gives me the ability to really just like hold space for people right. when they've gone through whatever it is that they've gone through. So, you know, it's, it, it's definitely part of the job, you know, a doula is meant to be, you know, in part a, an emotional support person, right. um, essentially if, if you ask anybody what the definition of a doula is, it's somebody who provides non-medical, physical, emotional, and informational support. So, you know, emotional support's a big part of the journey. And yeah, like I've yeah. had, I've had so many people, I'll walk into a house and like the parents just cry. It's yes. <laughs> just at my, they're like, we're so happy you're here. They're just like so relieved that somebody is here to just like, at the very least, walk the journey with them yeah just hold space the way that yeah because the way that we give birth in this country specifically it's lonely it's yeah. a very lonely process and like unless you are unless you know and you're just one of those people that has just somehow managed to carve out this amazing village for yourself right. which most people like don't 
and have not done that by the time they become parents, like yep. it's, it's hard. It's yep. hard. You feel really alone. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I completely understand. You feel totally alone. Now, uh, now this is something that for me is not what's happening, but I wonder, cause I've talked to a lot of moms who, you know, have very traumatic birth stories. And then they're like, I want to have a second baby, but I'm so scared to have a second baby because of something that I went through. Now we've talked about this where mm -hmm. you're, you know, you had a traumatic, you know, birth story talking about maybe having another, mm -hmm. you know, child in the future, maybe not. But what would you say to moms who maybe have been through such trauma? Like how can they prepare to know that a, it's going to be a different birth story and b, like not mm -hmm. to be scared to, cause I feel like, I, I was so naive, like thinking I knew what a birth was. And then like, that's going all out the window being like, oh, wait, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Um, You know, yeah. what would you say to to a mom to kind of go, it's okay, you can do it again. And, and it's not going to be um, the same. Part of it is that if somebody has gone through trauma, specifically birth trauma, like, <laughs> And they're scared of childbirth after that. Like that makes sense. I get yes. it. I feel you. I feel that. Like absolutely. What I will say is that, um, you know, trauma is essentially an experience that has been stored away in our nervous system. Mm. And so the first step to really kind of like moving past that fear from the birth trauma that you've experienced is you need to find a way to help release and regulate your nervous system. You know, there's, there's, a, there's all sorts of ways that you could do that. Some people respond really well to like talk therapy. So just sharing their birth story kind of like on repeat and just exercising that yep. does the trick, right? Yep. Um, other people like myself, I don't respond very well to like talk therapy for me. Somatic work is what works best for me. So things like, you know, breath work or, um, you know, meditation or, um, pelvic steaming, those things help release right. my nervous system and help me exercise things that way. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, really finding the the way to just kind of like soothe your body and, you know, obviously we're talking about something slightly different right now, but like going back to belly binding, that's one of the benefits that it has postpartum is that it gives your body a level of compression that helps soothe your vagus nerve, which is a major nerve channel in your body and helps like soothe that raw feeling right. of like, of your nervous system just being completely out of whack. Right. That, it's a, it's a hug. It, it, <laughs> it's a it hug. literally is like when yeah. I had the belly binding, that is what I felt every single time. Like I yeah. felt like a hug. I felt the support. And what was yeah. interesting, which we didn't, you know, I forgot to talk about was towards the end of the belly binding. I think it must've been, I don't know. Maybe I was like 45 days postpartum or something because it was mm -hmm. after we had to restart over again after yeah. the, the DNC but I remember the last like two sessions I would say to you, I'd be like, it's a little tight. Like when I sleep, like I find myself like taking it off in the middle of the night and you're like, yeah, yeah because your body doesn't need it anymore. Exactly. You needed, it gave you the hug when you needed it. And then when you didn't, we let, we 
loosened it up a little bit and we went yeah. a little gentler. And it was just the last <laughs> yeah. two times, but it was, it made sense because it had been so many days afterwards. And I was like, oh, my body's like getting back into it, you know? And, and it was interesting because it's like, wow, your body, like literally the, the thing that I learned the most about my, my pregnancy and my postpartum journey is truly listen to your body because it will express all the emotions that it needs. Like it's literally screaming to you being like, I'm ready yeah. or I'm not ready or, oh my gosh, like you're going to die. Like there were so many things that <laughs> came out all the time along with the baby's head, you know. Um, but there were a lot of things yep. that came out um, emotionally and physically for me that I, I am so blessed that that it happened. And I'm so lucky that I was able to have this this this, you know, journey for all intents and purposes of calling it that that I went on, you know, and so lucky that I got to meet incredible people like you, because I will say the people that I met during this pregnancy and postpartum journey have now just like changed my life, like for the better. And I never would have met them if I didn't, you know, ever have a little lady. Erin, I have to ask you, what is- A little lady. My little lady. What is your emotional <laughs> support? Mm, that's a hard one. I know. Because I'm thinking of like so many different things, but- You yeah. could have a lot of different things. Um, Yeah. I mean, because like initially I'm thinking like, oh, well, literally like, snuggles on the couch with my partner and my my daughter like that's that's our little happy place but i would say like emotional support but that I would could be your emotional say, support it it definitely it definitely can be like absolutely i would have to say that at the core at the core 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 of things though my emotional support is being able to sit quietly with myself wow that's great that's powerful yeah that would be mine that would be mine. I definitely, I mean, this is like a whole other thing, but you know, as you know, I, I had cancer right. <laughs> back in 2020. And one of the things that allowed me to really like navigate that situation was, you know, it was kind of unfortunate. I, because it was during COVID, I was not allowed any visitors and I would be in the hospital for a week at a time Alone with no visitors. Yeah. But I will say that as hard as that was, having that time to just sit quietly with myself was what allowed me to process and navigate the whole thing. Oh, I love that. So I yeah, I, I don't know if that really works for most people, oh, but sitting quietly with myself. Is I will tell you, I think that not only does it work for people, people who haven't tried it should try it because it will work. And I think that that's, yeah. you know, I, well, I know for me, meditation, you know, meditating is what saved my life. And I remember, you know, right after I, I remember being so frustrated before I had the epidural because I just wanted to meditate and I needed that 10 minutes. And at the second yeah. I had the epidural, they were like, okay, the doctor, you know, squeeze your legs together because she could come at any moment and I need to go get the doctor. And I remember going, okay, I have at least five minutes and we turned the lights off. And my husband and my mom and I all like just closed our eyes and meditated together, knowing that that was like my final, you know, piece before she was arriving. And yeah. I will never forget that. And and being in tune with their and being, and it's almost like right a recharge of going, okay, you can do this. Like whatever you have to go through. And for you, like chemo, it's like, okay, you know what? I'm in alone with this. 
but I have the power inside me to get this done and to kick ass and to, to go yeah. do it. And you did. Yeah. And like round of applause for that. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Like you did. And that's so amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, Aaron, how can everyone find you? I'm going to have in the show notes, you know, your website and everything, but how can, how can they find you if they, you know, would like your help? Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. You could literally just, I, I recently, I recently upped my game and started a little Yelp page. So you can actually find me on Yelp. My practice is called Alayla birth. Um, it's actually Alayla is my daughter's middle name because she's obviously what inspired me to come to this port. So it's, um, a L A Y L A. That's so pretty. What is the name mean? Um, it is, it is the Greek female personification of a war cry wow it's very hyper specific yeah and so essentially the reason why we gave her that name was when she was in the NICU she was the tiniest one she was very she was only three pounds and 10 ounces when oh she my was born. god she was tiny. a little bean oh tiny tiny and so but she was the loudest you know she was the loudest one in the NICU And there was a certain irony to that because obviously the whole reason why I held on for like three days in the hospital as my organs were shutting down was I was like, I need her lungs to be okay because their lungs don't fully develop until 34 weeks. So I'm like, I need her lungs to be okay. So there was this wonderful, like, just kind of irony to the whole thing of her being the smallest person in the name. And the loudest, but but those lungs. the loudest one. Yeah. So her her dad came up with that name and I was like, that's perfect. Oh, Done. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Done. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs>